And then I said, and that's how you nail the cold open. How did I do? Yeah, great. Uh, second time lucky. How are you? <laughs> Good, man. Are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Should we welcome people to the podcast? We should, even though we already did the cold open. How about the warm one now? Okay. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Bench Units, as it typically is. My name is Mark, and as I typically am, I'm joined by James. How's it going, man? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Can't complain. I was listening to a podcast earlier who, that we're analyzing the Football World Cup, and they were talking about not high-level analysis, but mid-level analysis, because they were talking about, I think it was Ecuador played the first game, and they were like, blah, blah, blah. Ecuador looked really good against Qatar, who are a bad team, but I think we will see them play against good teams and they will not look as good because they are better than some teams and not as good as the other good teams. Great analysis. And I wonder if we ever actually do any better than that. That's almost your level of sitting on the fence. Yes. Although the guy wasn't wrong. I I did think about you, actually. You, like me, have been watching BoJack Horseman. Um, Have you seen the bit? Yeah, where Mr. Peanut Butter runs to be governor of California. Uh, no. <laughs> it's, his like poster is a ripoff of Barack Obama's one that says, yes, we can. And it says, yes, we might. And I was going <laughs> to suggest you co-op that from now on. That sounds, that sounds like me. All right. <laughs> anyway, should we talk about some basketball? Let's do it. Okay, let's talk about some wheelchair basketball specifically because no one likes our NBA takes. Um, okay, so we're going to start as per usual in the Spanish league. The first game of which was Leganes against Vigo, and that was seventy four sixty seven. So this was this was weird. This is not what I thought this game was going to look like. What was your take on how the game should have looked? Because we can get in touch with these teams and tell them to do it differently next time. Um, well, for a start, according to the stats, I didn't think Vigo were going to shoot 96%, <laughs> and I didn't think Las Rosas were going to shoot 91 but here you are. Also, that's not what happened, right? I assume that's not what <laughs> like That wasn't what I think happened by watching the game, but what I don't understand is, like, I've seen games that the team shot 100% because people only started, like, makes to make the stats make sense on a very, like doing your homework on the bus on the way into school type thing. But I don't I don't understand what the person starting this said they missed. Yeah, I, I don't really get it. My main take with this one was, I before I'd actually watched this game, Mendel had sent us in our group chat the um, thing about Agustin shooting 92% for 30 points. Would uh, you have believed it? Well, this is it. I was like, well, 13 of 14 shooting is ridiculous. And then I like watched the full game back and I was like, honestly, 13 from 14 seems a little bit low. If like, yeah, felt, that's kind of what he does. But if you look like at the stats. For the entire thing, man, it was unreal. But um, yeah, I mean, this was obviously not 90% shooting on both sides, but I thought this was actually a hell of a game like all around. Um I thought this this one finished the first quarter, I think, with Christian Gomez making the most Christian Gomez shot of all time, where he took <laughs> yes. 7.9 seconds to dribble the ball over halfway and then just launched it. And it was the cleanest swish in the entire world. But he he made some big shots. I My theory coming away from this is if you were to play a no-fouls-called game of basketball, Let's say there was only, you know, you can get called for unsportsmanlikes, but there is no being called for like common chair fouls. 
I think Christian Gomez might be the first draft pick in that game. Because like, he doesn't care what you do while he's shooting a post up. Fouling him doesn't affect him, and he is more than happy to foul anybody in sight. So I think he's <laughs> I think he's the best money's worth for that game. We That's... should see if we can put that together as an all-star game. Um I'd be into that. Um on the actual basketball side of things, this game seemed very even for a very long period of the game. And I think the stats reflect that if they're correct. But there were like two runs where it seemed like Leganes, who I nearly called Las Rosas again, Leganes <laughs> kind of got inside four or five possessions in a row and they like opened the game up a little bit and then it went back to like who's going to hit more contested post-ups and then it went, there was another little run where Leganes kind of got inside and got either layups or like Alex Ruiz post-ups just outside the charge circle yeah. and I don't know if you win uh, by if you win a game by a handful of points. I think I think that makes a difference. If I'd, obviously, I'd love to see the stats be real and actually figure out if the stats reflected what I thought I saw. But I don't know. There were games. There were points where I was like, because I didn't know the score of this before I watched it. There were points where I was like, when is this game actually going to open up? And it felt like it kind of felt like there were just little runs where I don't know. It would be like. Vigo go down the floor and kind of rely on Alejos to do a lot, which he's amazing at. Obviously, he's been doing that there for years. And then the other end of the floor, Las Rosa, I mean, Leganes, just find <laughs> little, little streaks of getting inside and getting a handful of layups in a row or getting down in transition or, um, you know, I think that's kind of... Yeah, I thought um, Matias Mendes, their young guy, was relatively instrumental in that because I think he is... He's obviously not the most sizable player to be going inside against the likes of Agostin and uh, Yeson Betancourt, but he hit enough from outside that I think it then frees up guys like Hafley and uh, Alexis Ruiz, who are like competent outside players, but don't want that to be their like primary role. Um, and Mendes hit some big shots. And yeah, I thought you kind of saw the... Leganes create shots by committee versus the more Vigo approach of like one guy creates and everybody else finishes. Um, and the Vigo guys, by and large, actually finished pretty well. Uh, I just there was a lot of possessions where it was, Leganes was still like burning the shot clock down on Vigo, and they were still looking for Agustin to create. And then it's either he heaves a shot, which he made a couple of insane ones. Oh yeah, twenty foot post ups. But yeah, it felt like they almost kind of used Vigo's strategy against them where he was looking to create for the entire 24 and then either even a shot or throwing a last second pass to somebody who hadn't touched the ball for the whole possession. So, yeah, I thought like I was just kind of out-executed. Maybe out-executed is, is the wrong word, but I thought their balance showed through here in those runs you were talking about. Yeah, I think that's it. Like, it's a question that I had for someone I was talking with uh, someone about this where it's like is the goal of should the is or should the goal of every offense be to like get inside whether you like start by trying to go inside or you start on the perimeter but to open up space to get layups and it's like I don't know there were there were various points in this game where like Vigo's offense started and ended on 20 foot post ups and which is like fine if that's what you can make the other team do. Because if you went into, if this game turned into like a 
big post up making competition, I would probably have backed Alejos to pull it out. But I don't know. Once again, if you lose by seven and the other team probably shoot twice as many layups as you, I don't know. Once again, I wish the stats were real because I tried to just go off what I watched in this and not look at the stats to see if it backed it up. And then turns out I couldn't have anyway. I think what what you're suggesting in terms of Alejos winning a long post-up competition would be like, have you seen the movie Troy? Uh, no, I have not. Yeah. Is it good? Uh, it's all right, but they yeah, it's Brad Pitt in unbelievable shape. I'd probably be fine with it. The the very first scene of that, the Greeks and the Persians like each bring their own army, and then they're like, "There's no point all these people dying. Shall we just have my best warrior against your best warrior?" And it's Brad Pitt against some meathead dude. And I wonder if this game would be like, right, everybody on the benches, Agostin and Christian Gomez just have to post each other up and shoot fadeaways for 40 minutes. I've told you this. Like, I think this should be like a power play thing, but it's like everyone clears off to the sideline and you like, sometimes it's the two fours. Sometimes it's the two ones. Like, you don't know. You just, you got to clear out and play one-on-one full court for like a minute and a half. Yeah, I think that should happen. I would be into it. All right, should we move on? We shall. Big win for Leganes. Yeah, yeah let's continue move. to Leganes continue to kind of put distance between themselves and what you think might have been their more natural position as kind of mid. Man, man I think they're fourth in the league. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that they're just good at this point. There's not really any way around it. Sure. All right. So next game, uh, everyone, we've broken out the third digit. Uh, Amiab Albacete, 109. Uh, Ferrol, 40. Well, who could have seen this coming? Did you watch much of this? Because uh, I have a funny story about how much of this I watched. Right, I'll, I'll go first then, because I watched the first quarter and it was 35-11. <laughs> I, was like, I think I've <laughs> seen all I need to see from this one. Um, yeah, I checked back in like periodically in the breaks between games, but there was never anything to make me think oh, I actually should stick around and watch this. I mean, the, I think it kind of tells you at all that it looks like the Albacete stats are suffering from the same syndrome as the Vigo and Leganes game that we just talked about. Yeah. Uh, like Alejandro, um, Zazuela, 7 from 7, Lee, 15 from 18, Filipski, 11 from 16, Ben, 9 from 30. It's like, no, these are the actual stats. Like, they got them right on this occasion. Ridiculous. Yeah, mental. What's your funny story? So watched a couple of offenses that were just like breakaway layup, um, breakaway layup. And then <laughs> one of the plays very early on, Ferrell get back into a half court defense against Albacete, who have at this point, I think they had, yeah, they had Philipsky, Philipsky behind an Alejandro screen. Philipsky, who is like maybe the best shooter in the world at the minute, like yeah. give or take. Um, and they weren't jumping him to, I can only assume, protect the paint, and then Lee scores a layup on the weak side anyway. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so you're not jumping this absolute killer just in case you, like, give up layups and you end up with Lee on the charge circle, like, a second later. I was like, okay, yeah, like, the, well, yeah, there's no point watching this sort of thing. <laughs> but... Yeah, I, like, I did the same thing. I, like, flicked through random bits, but this is best team in the league just completely having too much for any anyone to handle that's yeah i mean that i don't think this result causes us to think differently about either team put it that way 
Um, no, I don't know how much of the how much there is interesting here. Fifi having 24, 10, and 13 is cool. Obviously, Lee having 32, 13, and 7 yeah. is also cool. But there's some obviously performances here that would warrant the belt, but the game just isn't of the magnitude to allow that to happen. Nah, no, you, you don't. You, yeah, yeah, you don't get that. On the Farrell side, 15 for Lorenzo Mbo, who did hit a couple of killers when they had literally no offense going on. He did his weird stationary over the head. It's Pre- unbelievable, isn't it? It's completely <laughs> insane. Even the guys who, like Lee's been in Spain for, I don't know, like nine years now and has played against him on and off when he's been with Vigo and whatever. And there's still like, Chuck goes in and Lee's just like, man, I cannot believe this is happening. Lee's great. Yeah, uh, 15 for him, 9 for Carol Schulz, 8 for Adrian Ranielas, 2s and 4s for a couple other people. But this was, you could simulate this game a thousand times over and I don't know if it would get closer than the almost 70 point differential it was here. No, now this game kind of went how it's meant to go. Uh, makes our job incredibly easy. It does. Um, all right, shall we move on? Let's do it. All right, next game, probably the big one of the week. Uh, one of them anyway. Uh, El Union 69, Fundacion Aliados, Valladolid 62. I don't know why some teams get the full name. I just I just kind of do what I feel like. Um, so this was this was a good one. Um, yeah. And I kind of thought it wasn't going to be at halftime. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah, this is kind of initially, like the final score is kind of roughly where I thought it would be. Like, I think I called a union by like just about double figures and then ended up not being the case. But it started, yeah. what was halftime, 32-20? Yeah. I was like, oh I my thought, goodness. I thought this one was interesting though, because this was... Vitalita obviously like fairly newly constructed with the guys they've brought in, but... This was the first game we've seen somebody be like, okay, Romo's not beating us. Um, yeah. And Elunion did that with both lineups, like first with some combo of Greg and Sarah Revuelta. And when they went to their second lineup with Tom and Amadou, they basically put Tom on Romo from kind of half court and inwards. Um, yeah. That got them up by 12 and they carried that on. And then CJ Rogan came to the party in kind of the mid-third quarter onwards, and say he's been in Spain for enough games now, you kind of watch him and you wonder if these teams don't really have him scouted yet. Like he's, We talked about it when he was on here, but he's a pretty unorthodox dude, and they kind of didn't know how to deal with his weird herky-jerkiness and his incredibly low-arcing bank shot that <laughs> looks like it'll never drop, but seemingly always does. Yeah, he shot one that I was like, ooh, ah, okay, that went in. Like, it was almost <laughs> like you were ready. You'd be like, what? In? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. fair enough. Nice, um, nice but yeah. Yeah, I thought Violet, from 12 down, there was a couple of points where they got it to like four, um, and it was really looking like it might sway. And the, there was one stretch especially where they got it to four, they missed a pretty makeable shot. And then there was like a loose ball on the Illunian offense that got picked up and just thrown to Sarah Rivalter at the free throw line. Cause like that's not what Illunian looked to do on their offense at all. But she was open because they doubled elsewhere and she like sunk a triple bounce free throw line yeah. jump shot. And yeah, that's a killer, yeah. man. But it must have been like, man, there it is. But yeah, I thought like promising Vidalid game, they just couldn't match. Ilunion have enough options that I think they're just calmer in the fourth quarters of games. Yeah. And... I don't know, but... 
I think there's a thing where like there were I don't know there was did you find there was some weird end game stuff that you were like oh could Vitaly have filed a little earlier or could they have done yeah. this or could they have done I don't like I was kind of watching it being like hmm and I I don't remember the exact details by this point which is terrible podcasting but <laughs> I was watching it kind of wondering if there was a way they could have done sort of the last two three minutes a little better in terms of like filing certain people in certain spots but obviously it's super easy to do that say that two days after the game while watching it at home rather yeah. than well, live think, in the middle of a gym with 100 people shouting at you. i think it, you can kind of see it in the quarter score breakdowns but vadalo won the um third quarter 24 16 and that got it to four points and then Elunion actually won the fourth quarter by three and that yes. got Final margin of seven, but here's a question. They actually oh, three within like the last three, four minutes, because I think Vidalid like went to kind of press to, you know, go for broke. And there's a couple of getaway layups for Louis on it's like I think there was enough time you could have just played them an honest defense there rather than like gambling for steals and stuff like that. And that maybe would have put them in the position like you were talking about to, you know, be able to play the free throw game more to their advantage rather than it's tough to start that when you're down six with like a 40 seconds left. Yeah. Yeah. I think they were like just too far away to do it at some point, but like if you manage that and get a little bit closer, but I think the big story of this fourth quarter is how many points do you think Terry had out of his, was it 27 overall? Um, yeah, I will go th- trying to think. Um, I would go, 12 or 13? Off the top 13. Of Terry had 13 points in the fourth quarter, yeah. um, according to the stats, but also that's really what I like. That's what Terry has done for his entire life. And he's kind of been in and out and a little quiet and missed some games, obviously, with the weird eye poke stuff at the start of the season. But like that's why he's here. Yeah. You get down to a close game and just every time down the floor, he seemed to be in the right spot with the ball in yeah. his hands and that's an absolute yeah. killer, but you can't, I don't know. I know it's a union have an embarrassment of riches. And if you take it out of his hands, you're putting it into someone else's hands. But I don't know. I feel like if it's an end of a close game, you don't want Terry Bywater doing what he does. Yeah. I think 13 and a quarter. I think it kind of su- sums the whole flow of the game up where like they took Romo away. CJ was able to keep the minute and it's like, congratulations. You've kept the game with arm- within arms reach CJ as a reward. See if you can win this shootout with Terry Bywater over the next 10 minutes. It's like, Oh cool. That's what you've earned. <laughs> yeah. Troubles. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks very much. Um, <laughs> okay. There is one stat of this game that I think is absolutely hilarious. What do you think is the funniest what do you think I have as the funniest stat of the game? Funniest stat. Is it the fact that Illunion didn't make a free throw for the entire game where they were not from three? No, it was not that. Okay. Um on me, what was it? See, I think the thing that I think is the funniest part is he had four files in the end, but at one point in the first half, Hasso had to come out because he had three offensive files. Three files, all offensive. <laughs> Um, yeah, and there was one part where uh, when he came out, they put I think it was Amadou in instead of him, and you were just playing a point under in an important game, which is like you're not playing a one on the floor, but it's still not, it's it's, it's not ideal, but yeah, yeah. there's um, Hasso having 
three offensive fouls in the first half actually put me in mind of a when Lee Manning was playing back over here in the UK, however many years back. I Lee had to come out of a game because he had three offensive fouls in the first four minutes. <laughs> That's what that reminded me. Gosh. I he, had, he had two and we were like, we'll stick with him. And then somebody threw him a pass as he was like charging to the basket. And it was like, he either has to stop his chair and let the ball hit him in the face or he has to catch the ball and run somebody over. And he did the second one. But Hasso made me think of that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the big job at Illumion is to get inside and finish. So if you pick offensive fouls up, I think they can live with that, especially when you have Amadou to come off the bench, who he only had six points in this game, but I think has shot like 75% all season. Yeah, yeah. He's actually, I think he's probably leading the league in shot percentage. But yeah, I, I just like Amadou's not a bad sub for that, but I, I don't know, like going a point under. I don't know yeah. what their, I can't remember what their lineup was at that point, but I feel like there was probably something else you could have done, but they took a few minutes and then, and then went back to playing 14 and a half or more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what was I going to say? My other random miscellaneous Alunian question that I've meant to ask you once a week for the last six, seven weeks is they have very white t-shirts on the bench every week. Is that a new t-shirt every week? Or is that just like a really good sort of, laundry detergent and vanish setup they've got going on i don't know would it be more in keeping with our like laughing about the rich clubs to say that they bought new t-shirts every week or to say they had like industrial grade washing machines and products well one of the things that Illunion, the company does is laundry so okay we'll go maybe, with that. They, maybe they put it in with like the white sheets in the hotels that Illunion run maybe that's the deal but i don't know victor ramos if you're listening which i think you are um <laughs> have you ever like have you ever been doing the podcast and being being aware of like a specific person that's listening and being like hey if you're in the gym while listening to this lift <laughs> yeah. heavier well, put, we put could, another five on each side rather than a two and a half each side you card we occasionally get people who are like i love listening to the podcast at this specific time when i do this specific training session or car ride and it's like I feel like we can dr- sprinkle ourselves into people's lives and feel like we're watching them. Which is cute, everyone. If you're listening to this, pull over, have an app. Uh, <laughs> all right, cool. Should we move on? Let's do it. Oh, la- last question before we move on. Um, for you, where do Valladolid stand in relation to like the tiers of the Spanish League at this point? Because I think between beating you guys a few weeks back and having a close one with Illunion, uh, they comfortably in the sub Albacete tier, or are they a level below that? I think they're in the second tier, and I think you could, yeah, you can quibble on whether, well, you go Albacete, and then do you go Albacete Illunion tier one, or do you go Albacete tier one Illunion tier two on their own, and like us and them tier three? Uh, depends I, on whether you lump Illunion in with the team above them, or the teams below them, or both. I lump Illunion in with the team below them, and I think Albacete get their own tier until proven otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any reason to say they don't actually. Good point. Like, if you've beaten the team below you twice already, like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then I don't know if you would go like us via the lead or anyone else in the same tier, but yeah, because um, yeah. not everyone's played everyone either. Like, we're a game down at this point, and yeah, whatever. Um, Leganes are storming the rankings. Yeah, Leganes and Mercia are both there, thereabouts in the league, but it's a weird one. Speaking of Mercia, shall we move on? Yes, Iconic Gran Canaria, 73. 
Mercia, 63. This was weird. If, yeah, if you had to guess which team was going to come out and win this by 10, would you have put your money on Mercia? Because I think I would have. I would have, because Gran Canaria, to put it simply, haven't been very good at any point this year. Yep. Uh, Mercia also kind of, I would have given them credit of being the sort of team that could have given them yeah. trouble. Yeah, I thought this was a this was a weird one. Mercia started a lineup they don't typically use. Um, they got okay game. Well, they got a good game from Lee Fry, who had 27, and they got 21 from Joaquin Robles. Um, they just looked, especially in the first half, they really looked like they had traveled to Gran Canaria that day. I don't know if they did or not, but they yeah, I think they have. Like, I think that was my thing as well. I was like, wow, is this one of the games where the travel like very clearly gets a team? Yeah, I that's it, this reminded me of um when we had Tom O'Neill Thorne on, he talked about the Bilbao game when they flew to Gran Canaria and lost to Gran Canaria when you were out injured and Rose was back in the USA. He was like, Yeah, it was just we lost to the flight on that one. That kind of struck me as this. Um yeah. I, I think it was a good Lekane game, and Jorge Salazar was not mucking around by any stretch. Uh, you mean Gran Canaria? You said Lekane. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I said Oh, it's because <laughs> I tell you why. It's because I looked at the team list, and uh, Alexi Ramone's name is first. <laughs> so I'm literally like, yeah, Lekane. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Gran Canaria, man. They Jorge Salazar came out. I don't know what he must have eaten pre-game, but whatever it is, I would like some of it. Um, he reminded me of like when we had to play Martin Edwards with Oldham going back a few years, and it's like, oh, if any, if the offense at any point isn't firing, this guy will just hold the ball above his head and shoot it. <laughs> yeah, this guy will post up from behind his head, and you've got no chance, even though you think you can get pretty close. Yeah, but yeah, man, I thought Gran Canaria really. You can talk about the travel and whatever for Mercy, but I thought Gran Canaria came out and won this game in pretty convincing fashion like it was a 10 10 point difference but I, it didn't feel like Mercia were really threatening it at any point I know they put a run on in the fourth quarter but that kind of felt like last ditch attempt yeah as you say the lineup that they started like that was kind of I thought they were going to come out and press and I was like oh okay like I could I could see this being being the move obviously you never really want to go too risky with it like playing Alexia Ramone because that guy can move, yeah. but you've got more than enough to deal with it. But I, yeah, I thought they were going to come out and press, but I guess they didn't. I don't know. Yeah. I, they just didn't have it. Like they just, I don't know what was wrong, but they just, God, they just started so slow, like seven points in the first quarter, kind of yeah. got it together ish. Uh, but they lost the second and third as well. And then there was one point like, third to the start of the fourth quarter where Grand Canaria were just like getting runaways and everyone was mucking in and like it wasn't like obviously Salazar killed them and he had 33 but like pretty even scoring apart from that like you had Ramon with 14 and then you had fours and sixes and eights and fours kicking around all over the place and yeah I mean there was one point where I was like wow everyone's getting in on the fun like it's a weird one with Ramon we talk about I can't remember who you you and Mendel were talking about the other week when I wasn't here about guys whose shot making is like counts double because it's momentum altering. I think the reference was Christoph Bandura, but I can't remember who you were talking about most recently. But Ramone's like breakaway layups are almost the same thing. Like 
which is bizarre because they're th- they are the most easy shot in the game objectively. But there's something about like a long mercy of possession where they they're like kicking it around, long rebound, and the outlet pass is literally just like catch the rebound, tip it away one hand, and it's like, oh yeah, he's gone. No, yeah, I think that's the thing. Yeah. You're like, ah, we spoke about this. <laughs> it literally is, and it's especially there was like one outlet where I think Salazar caught the rebound and only had to outlet it to maybe like a chair length above their own three point line they'd just been defending. Yeah. Like, Mercier are not down on quick guys at all. Like, no, the, there's something about when Ramone gets away. There's just like a very very long period of time where you have to watch him just push the other way and run the ball, and it's like, oh man, this is really upsetting to watch. Yeah. Um, is I'll... this? This would be my last question on Grand Canaria. Obviously, we talked about Richard Noche not uh, being with them for some undefined amount of time. This lineup they played this game where it's Ramone, um, Raul Vega, Luigi Macambo, Jorge Salazar, and Driss Said. I just think this is their best lineup. I think yep. they, were, they were trying to fit Richard in and, and all that stuff. But this not only is their most talented five, I think it suits what their coach wants to do. And they're, they're now being given no choice but to play it, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, um, I'm I'm kind of I'm just team get Richie on the floor at some point, obviously just because like I'm biased and think he's great. But no, I think this is as you say, this is a little closer to what they want to do in terms of like when you say what their coach wants to do, you mean what their coach has done for the last handful of years with a massively different and stacked team or a couple of different stacked teams where it's like you were playing to 17 points. So like trying to do that with two ones on the floor wasn't a good <laughs> idea. Uh, trying to do that with a load of mids and the four and a three, five is probably the move. So yeah, uh, no wonder, but yeah, they, they just really clicked for them this game. And it'd be interesting to see if this is like sort of a sign of things to come or whether Mercia had a bad one. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. If you're Mercia, what obviously this one stings because when you're kind of mid table, you don't want to drop one to anybody who is below you. But if you're Mercia, are there a huge number of lessons learned from this game, or do you just be like, hey, we really got got on this one? But I don't think Mercia did anything massively systematically wrong other than not show up for the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I think, yeah, like. I find it a little bit easier to take a loss when it's like, hey, we just crapped the bed. Like, for 10 minutes, like, we scored 7 points in 10 minutes. We scored flipping 25 points in 20 minutes. Like, we just didn't have it. I don't know. Like, a lot of it is if you look at their, like, if you look at their the stuff they missed, it was like, they missed layups, they missed bank shots that they would normally take. Like, they're missing 12 to 15 footers. Yeah. Um and I don't know. I think you can go back and fix that on Monday morning rather than yeah, anything maybe. else. Like you can go and do a shooting session and kind of fix that sort of stuff. But there's little bits about like maybe not getting out in transition enough. But I don't know. Like I, I don't think you need to ring any alarm bells yet. I don't know who they play next week to really know how much you need to care. But yeah. Cool. Right. Only one German league game. Shall we go to Germany? Uh, yes. Where would you like to go? Uh, where was this game played? This was in Hanover. This was in Hanover. Let's go there. I've never All been right. to um, Yeah, Hanover United, 80, Donectria Dolphins, 77. So last time these two teams played was like super early in the German league season and it was like 77, 75. So I think there's just these two teams, despite 
fairly significant talent differentials. Apparently can't play a a game that's representative of that. Uh, and the story here was that Dirk Passavan had four points at halftime and had 42 <laughs> points to finish the game. Um, man, this this second half was like... <laughs> oh my God. I, I don't know... I don't know what the weather's been like in Bilbao, but I think it was last Thursday over here. There was a day where it rained for like 21 hours straight and at no point... You could like look out the window and it was anywhere from like chucking it down to lightly drizzling. And you were like, I wish it would just I wish it would rain heavier for a little bit so it could stop for five minutes. And that's how I imagine Hanover felt <laughs> at some point. Like, could we just get like two possessions in a row where Dirk Passavan isn't making a shot, please? <laughs> like just the most relentless thing I've ever seen. Okay. So with Eight minutes and 43 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. I looked up, and if I'm not mistaken, the score was 70-53. Yeah. <laughs> Dirk Passawan just went absolutely nuts, and they only lost by three in the end. Oh, and they probably, like, they had, like, missed layups. They had weird kind of, like, shots where they pulled ones where they kind of, I don't know, there's like weird offenses where they could have got stuff, like they could have got better stuff, they give up some layups in the middle of this run and like they, they almost could have won the game which is yeah, completely yeah, chaotic I mean that they also, Hanover must have feel, been feeling pretty good about themselves when they had Dirk to four points at half time and it was what 43-27 at that point Yeah, they must have been like this in the bag and it was still in the bag, let's say, with eight minutes and 43 seconds left. But Passavan's just a different breed, man. And this was, I think you kind of see the Sean Norris effect here, where if it was maybe anyone else with the ball in their hands for Hanover, like as great as Amit Vigoda was for them last season, it's the difference of an experienced guy on a pretty young team where I feel like had this not been... Sean Norris taking the reins of the Hanover offense. There's a very good chance Trier could have gotten all the way back in this one. But Sean yeah. Norris, you know, steadies the ship as well as anybody on earth. Yeah, unbelievable. Like, it's very, it's very mid-level analysis to come out of this being like, um, Dirk Passawan, good. Sean Norris, also good. But like, <laughs> man, there's nothing worse than just watching a game like, watching a lead just kind of like eviscerate before your eyes. Like I think everyone's been in that sort of game where you've lost when you've been up more than should be. Yeah. Fine. And you're just like, this is going. And yeah. you don't want to think like that, but you're like, this is this yeah. is gone. Like it's over. Like we're we're gonna lose this game. This guy's just taking it because he has the most like we joke about scorers who get so heavily defended that when they see daylight, they're like, oh, the, a, a basketball can fit through this gap upwards yeah. and therefore it's going. But he like literally, the amount of like dribbles off picks, absolutely going like 70% of his max speed and just pulling it and it going in. It's unbelievable. I mean, the you can't even really say Hanover should have defended him differently. There was oh, like, what can you do? Like a bar, like actually ignoring, like functionally ignoring two players on his team. You you can't do anything because you can't like doubling him doesn't make a difference. Like it, it was mental. The the other thing this 
going back to that early game of the season, the kind of saving grace for Hanover here, I think, was the progress of Tom McHugh as a player, yeah. um, where it's been kind of... I think we saw when they first played, and because Trier are pretty small, Hanover were almost like, hey, we'll just throw it to the big guy on a mismatch. And that's like a 50% shot. And he'll probably be able to carry us some amount of the distance, but that was literally Tom McHugh's first game as a professional wheelchair basketball player. And I think he looks a little bit daunted. And then this game, he was posted up literally any time he got anybody on, on him <laughs> and was at the edge of the key. He was like, yeah, I'll shoot this. And yeah, he was massive for the man. He was eight from 12, had 16 points. And yeah, yeah Ozzy's coming through for Hanover, man. But Trier are just an incredibly difficult team to measure yourself against progress-wise. Yeah, because it's sometimes it's legitimately not your fault yeah. that he has 42 against you, you could <laughs> which go, is a mad thing to say. You could be like, hey, we've improved loads. We've got Mariska back, who wasn't there when they first played. We've kind of figured our lineups out. And we've, instead of winning by two, like we did a handful of weeks ago, we've won by three because no combination of people can do anything about this one guy. Um but it's yeah, hilarious. This, this was just insane, man. If anyone's not watched this game, go watch the second half specifically. Um, yeah, this was... I mean, shout out to Hanover for getting it done because there are perfectly adequate, serviceable teams who would have crumbled in the moment. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, watching this happen and then actually getting to the line at the end and pulling it out and, like, actually finishing that game off is really impressive because, like, as I say, everyone has been been around that game and just being like this is this is going like we're gonna lose this game but it like yeah. I, I say this like they also missed a couple of layups near the end of the game and stuff like this could have gone either way but yeah definitely yeah shout out to both these teams and this might be the best game to watch of the entire weekend which it definitely didn't feel like when it was a 16 point game at halftime no uh, yeah, I would agree. All right, so last little bit we put out on Instagram. I say we, you put out on Instagram, um, asking because we knew this was going to be a little shorter of a podcast. If anyone had any decent topics for us to talk about, yeah. So what we got? Got our usual bombardment of messages from Mendel. Would it be better to only be able to catch the ball or only be able to throw the ball? Oh yeah, Mendel said we were going to talk about this. Um, he wanted to speak about that when he came on. Um, let me see. I think it would only be useful to be able to throw the ball. Well, how can you only throw the ball if you can't catch the ball? Uh, basically, you could inbound and then play defense. Oh, right, right, okay. You could pick it up on your own, which means you could... Mm, is picking the... I don't know. You could yeah. never rebound. We're going to have to seek clarification. <laughs> the ball dropping down off the ring to you and you just having to let it hit you. Um, yeah, I, I'm i not sure. There's no answer to this question. I'm going to go with catch the ball because then at least you can catch the ball and you have it so nothing else can happen. No, but like you just, it's an all, it's 24 second shot clock the second you catch the ball. Is it not? Or um, well, no, your teammates could come and take it off you. Like... Do you know why sometimes you see like weaker one pointers catch a rebound and you literally see teammates like go over to them for like yeah. a handoff? Like yeah. you would need to establish that sort of you would need to establish that pretty early where you go and you like someone just takes it off you. But yeah, I, I don't even know if that's allowed. I quite like the idea that once the ball falls to you, you just hold it for the rest of the game. 
Mm. Could you be a good enough shooter that like it didn't matter that you couldn't do anything but like shoot it? Like if you literally had to run a set where someone hands you the ball and protect you that you, so that you could <laughs> let it go. Uh, well, this this question doesn't state whether you can shoot the ball or not. No, but that's throwing the ball. Like it's basically, would you are you able to take the ball in or put the ball back out? Is kind of, I assume, the question. <laughs> no, there is no good answer. I I think if I was faced with this question, I would say I would rather just not play because both of these sound terrible. Yeah, if either of these were a reality, you would very quickly not be on the basketball court anymore. <laughs> they talk about the fact that there aren't enough wheelchair basketball players in the world that can shoot, pass, and dribble, but like yeah, not even being able to catch or pass or shoot. <laughs> or is dribbling is dribbling both? <laughs> then you can yeah. dribble. <laughs> dribbling is, is dropping the ball more than throwing it. Um. Yeah, terrible question because it's hurt my head. Also a good question because it's hurt my head. Great. All right, next question. What was the most wrong you've ever been about something in wheelchair basketball except for the Burgos thing, Mark? Um, That's kind of my great mistake since we've been doing this. People listening uh, to this might think you're wrong about everything all the time. I don't yeah, know. It, it, Someone tell us. I mean, yeah, people feel free to let us know. Um, I, I, th- I think probably... We'll not say any names because that would be unfair, but I think we've definitely been like, hey, this guest episode is going to smash it. <laughs> and how wrong we've been. There's yeah, probably there's been a handful of those where we've yeah. been like, oh, this is going to be amazing and everyone's going to love this. And like, ah, oh, this, this guy or this girl or whoever just didn't bring it. Yeah. And that's okay. And that might be our fault. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> I, I, it might be. I also think we've done enough episodes that have turned out well that like I've wouldn't take 100% of the responsibility for the episodes that don't. <laughs> sure. And I think that's the thing where it's like, there's maybe just some people that don't know us that well, or we don't know that well, that we assume will be really interesting. And they're maybe just not super comfortable yeah. talking in, not really public, but you know what I mean? Some if you, think, if you think we're talking about you, let us know. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, about basketball, once again, not naming any names, but I'd say the thing that I get wrong most is like, I'll either be like, no, I think this guy's really good, and then he isn't, or vice versa. Um, a lot of like, no, I think this guy's terrible, and then they end up being okay because a lot of it is situational. But I, I can't even think of a certain. I I think you get a lot of them when like because I think it always happens around you know like the NBA trade deadline where somebody joins a new team and it's like, oh, I can kind of see how this works, and it. For some reason, as soon as somebody's in a new situation, you only analyze them like theoretically and what the potential could be rather than being like, ah, this really could work if we discount all the evidence that this person isn't actually that good or willing to do any of these things that they could do in this role. Yeah, I think more broadly, and it's maybe something that that doing this podcast has taught me or led me to think is like I used to be really wedded to like, a certain like idealized way of playing the game. And I used to think all the good teams needed to play a certain way. And that's kind of not true. And you see different teams having success playing different ways. And yeah. I don't know. I feel like there are more than one way. There's more than one way to skin a cat, as we say in English. Um, I don't know. Like, I think, I think that's the sort of big picture thing where I've, done a lot of this stuff and i've no idea what to think about basketball but I, I think i'm a little bit closer on how to think about certain things and there are a lot of stuff that 
people are kind of had taken as like givens, like certain things that they think are good ideas or like things that you need to do a certain way in the game of wheelchair basketball that if you think about them for more than a handful of seconds, which we tend to do here, you're like, yeah. oh, no, that doesn't make any sense. Like numerically, like taking this shot in this scenario or whatever kind of isn't smart. But yeah, like once again, no specific examples, but I think that's most of the stuff that doing this has kind of gotten out of me. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. I think generally my approach is that I like to debunk the like common ideas of what is when people are like, ah, this really works for this team. Or like you say, when it's like every team should play this way. I think it went through a phase where everyone is like, hey, ball movement is great. And it led to like a lot of teams who just passed the ball around for the sake of it. Yeah, and it's like, hey, your player movement is only useful if I care where your players are going. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about this the other day. I watched the team. I don't even remember who it was. I don't think it was this weekend. I think it was a random old game that I stuck on in the background for something or like out of interest. And I was like, wow, they've run like seven exchanges, but of guys that defenses don't want to track. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, yeah, it happens. I think teams have got a bit smarter about it now, but ball movement, player movement really was a craze for a little bit. And it, like everything else, is so dependent on talent that if you don't have the talent to do it, it's probably not going to make a lot of difference. Yeah. Right. Last one from Mandel. Who is an underrated passer in today's wheelchair basketball? Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting one. Who's an underrated passer? Who do you think? Well, let's do this way. Who do you think is the best passer in wheelchair basketball? Oh, there's a handful of guys. Um, Phil is up there. Um, Asier, obviously, been up there for a little bit. Um, there's loads of guys. I'm trying yeah, to think. I'm completely think, blank at this point. I think a weird one is I think Robin Pogenvich is not the best shot creator, but is the one of the best executors of passes. In kind of a Lonzo ball. Like way. he has a little bit of like a weird, like his little bag of tricks. Yeah, I think he he has the closest thing to like the kind of court vision that, you know, when guys come in from the able-bodied game and they're used to playing through like forests of hands and they like see these windows of passage where you're just like, you must have been doing this on another level against people who were like taught how to play defense well in the able-bodied game. I think... <laughs> Robin has a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, I think like it's all kind of tied into your shot creation. I always wonder if there's people who have like great vision of picking out passes they should make but aren't good at executing them. We've spoken about this before where like one of the things about shot vision is like literal vision, like being yeah. massive. Like people talk about like LeBron's passing. It's like he's six foot eight and can put a basketball anywhere within a mile radius with his arms because they're massive. Like, people like oh, Jokic sees these angles and it's like, yeah, he's seven feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> like, and there are a lot of seven footers that are also like idiots and don't see it. Like there is a lot of mental to it, but it's like the actual vision. Yeah. Is a massive part of it. So like any small, any guard that can throw the ball about, um, once again, we're leaving a million people out here because I don't want to be that specific and I also can't think. But So if you think you're a really good passer, you probably are. You might not I be, think, I don't care. Um, I think he's, he's not playing anymore, but I think Andre Binek was an underrated passer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, fair enough. Uh, but, 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 I'm trying to think. 
what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, like the actual vision thing. And obviously the other thing, I think it is skill level. Like there are guys that can throw passes with their left hand off the dribble that can, like if you see something and you go, as long as the ball is touching a part of my hand, either yeah. hand, I can get past there. Like that's the thing where like certain people and like the lower points you get, obviously you need to like gather and support yourself and throw certain passes a certain way. But like that's one thing that I always got like, I always thought it was really impressive, like Gaz in a certain way. And there's like plenty of fours and four or fives that can do this stuff. But like he'll like shot fake, come off a pick on the three point line on his left and just like off the dribble, lefty hook pass into a shooter's pocket and the weak side baseline. You'd be like, oh, yeah, like that was very casual and no one's reacted to it. But like I can't do that. <laughs> that, that doesn't get to where it's meant to go as quickly as directly or as accurately in a lot of cases um stuff like that where it's like passing i don't know the actual vision stuff there's plenty of great like all the really good players can all read the game really well but yeah um i think phil's unbelievable at that stuff i also obviously think is really good at that stuff um yeah once again leaving a lot of people out uh because there's a lot of people who are very good at this stuff but almost what do you all think right in it's almost like we weren't prepared for that question. Okay, last one to wrap us up. Will you have kind of a Christmas party episode? I don't know what that question means. <laughs> I feel like the answer is probably no. But if anyone does know what that question means or would like to suggest what they think it would mean, let us know and we'll see if we can make it happen. I'd... Yeah, yeah. if anyone has a fun idea for something that we could do to like pre-record and crank out of the festive period so that we don't actually need to podcast between like Christmas and New Year's, let us know because that would be, it'd be fun to do something fun, but also we need to, we need someone to give us a good idea that we could actually do. Yeah, let's do that. Right, should we do the belt and get out of here? All right, uh, should we call it the uh, it's Passawan's belt, everyone else is just borrowing it belt and just give it to Dirk Passawan because he had 42. He did. They also, he also lost a game. They also lost. My other suggestion was going to be Jorge Salazar of Gran Canaria, but I'll let you make the call. Or 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 Terry Bywater for going 13 in a fourth quarter in a important game. They're yeah. the sort of three candidates. It's all, Terry's thing is so routine that I'm almost not as impressed by it as I should be. Oh, God. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, <laughs> Is is not unfair, but there's also no criteria for the belt. So yeah, we're making it up. I guess it's Salazar in terms of like game that no one, not no one, game that we didn't think they were going to win. That was quite important, and scoring thirty three is. Uh, I think we have to reward games where people are like massively outside of their usual role or like impact level for forty minutes. Like Salazar does a hell of a job every game, but very rarely is he like, "Hey, I'm just taking over the offense," and that's what we love to see. Sure. All right. Yeah. Jorge Salazar wins the belt. Congratulations. I just realized that I never posted on social media last week that Filipski won the belt last week, and it looks like I was a sore loser uh, <laughs> because they blew us out. But it wasn't that. It's just that he doesn't he doesn't let us follow him on Instagram or follow us back. Yeah, no, it's not good. that. I also just forgot because um, me and Mark were in the weird limbo where he was back and kind of taking back some of the jobs that he did all of, and I just forgot that that was still my job. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, talking about my job, I should go and do Get it. Out of here. All right, thank you very much for listening, cool. and we'll be back soon. Cheers, guys. Peace out. Bye.